This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, and with me t- on today's show, Aline Sanduk. Hi. Maddie Mix. Hello. LJ Agostinelli. Hey, guys. All of them MD, PhD students, if that's uh, what you want to know. We didn't want anyone to know that. <laughs> spread it, they're spread across a few different years, but that's fine. We like them anyway. And first year MD student, Nick Lind. Hello. And guys, for weeks now, I have been teasing something new and asking folks to join our email list. I'm finally ready to announce we are getting podcast merch. Woohoo! Nice. That's right. What would podcasting be without t-shirts? And here they are. Uh, in fact, look behind you and you'll see them. See one of them on the monitor there. Uh, you could, I mean, I know this is a uh, audio podcast, but trust me, I will be posting. Uh, <laughs> we could try to describe it. Yeah, yeah. That's actually what our episode is going to be today is us <laughs> describing as best as we can. Visual, <laughs> for only visual things. Right. Nice. Um, yeah, but here's the thing. I've said on the show before that we don't need money to do this show as our executive producer, Jason T. Lewis, is a generous benefactor and pays for it out of the Writing and Humanities program budget, which is uh, why every semester we're going to take the money that we get from T-shirt sales and send them to a charity that we here at the Short Code Podcast will choose uh, one a semester. So the plan is we'll have a new design every semester, along with hopefully some other items to sell at the shortcode.com slash store. And we'll donate whatever we get that semester to do something good in this world rather than just, you know, sending out our words Mm -hmm. in hopes that somebody finds them helpful. (laughs) We can do more. Uh, Spring 2019's Hall will go to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans affected by mental illness. So go to the shortcode.com slash door to buy something fun and to do something good for your fellow human beings. I'm, I feel kind of, I feel good about this because, yeah. so backstory, uh, a while back, uh, uh, Amy, um, Amy Young was on a panel, uh, former co-host now is, uh, off in the world doing doctory things. Uh, she was on a panel, um, for fourth year students and was asked by, uh, an audience member, you know, what about the short code podcast? Do you guys do anything for charity and, uh, or for service? And Amy was like, mm, that's not what we do. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. It's for entertainment only. Yeah. Until yeah. now. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, so I've been thinking about that for a long time and, uh, finally got the opportunity to do that, um, with this, the, I guess we could call it the eighth, halfway through the eighth season of the Short Code Podcast. So I'm, I feel good about it. I think our listeners are ready to join us on this mission. And uh, if you join our email list, email list at theshortcode.com, and you'll be the first to get the launch announcement along with a coupon code for 10% off for the first few listeners who choose to donate. So I'm cool. very, I'm very excited. That's awesome. Um... So that's the big news. 
We've got more on the show today, though. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we've got a listener question from Sarah. What extracurricular activities do med students take part in? I had heard of working in community clinics, but what other types of organizations are there? How does one identify these opportunities? Thank you for your question, Sarah. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you guys do any extracurricular activities? Or are you so consumed with medicine that you do, or studying medicine that you do nothing else? False. <laughs> False. I think this is it for me, actually. This, this is, is my extracurricular. <laughs> yeah. The shortcut. Well, you've said on the show before, Aline, that you uh, that you sometimes go to open mics and yeah. and extracurricular? Uh, and do that. That's, That's extracurricular. I mean, we're not talking about just school sponsored ex <laughs> extracurricular activities. That's fair. Yeah. Um, don't want to limit ourselves. Does a PhD count as extracurricular? <laughs> <laughs> extra, extra, no. extracurricular. No, it does not. <laughs> but that's that's all right. That's all right. That what would, else? That would be hilarious to put on a CV, just like extra <laughs> going to grad school. Yeah. <laughs> a little lab work. I, I dabbled in lab science. Yeah. So. <laughs> I pet in on the weekends. <laughs> I have kids. Though. Oh, right. They're my extracurricular activities. That's a Both of them. Nice activity. <laughs> yeah. It's more like a second full-time job. Yeah, kind of. Kind of feels that way. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, here at the College of Medicine, uh, we have many... Uh, school, I don't know, like not school sponsored, but student mm -hmm. organized mm -hmm. activities. Mm -hmm. um, everything from those related to the profession or specialty that you might eventually uh, get involved mm -hmm. with. Uh, clubs focused around those. Interest yeah. groups. Yes, yeah. that's what we call them. Student interest groups. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're into family medicine or you're into um, pediatrics, uh, pediatrics, wilderness medicine. Yeah. yeah. Anything like and there's, that. there's things in the community too. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely time to take part in extracurricular activities if, if there's something that you're passionate about. Yeah. And I think it ranges. Like, I don't know. I consider like, I don't know, maybe this is nerdy, but I, I tutor a lot and I, yeah, I look at nerdy. tutoring yeah. as, yeah. Extracurricular. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it's not me studying for myself. It's, I don't know. I, I don't know. I enjoy it. I think it's fun. There's the teaching distinction tract, which I think a lot of people some people might think of that as a schoolwork and some people that's extra for them. It's just for fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, some of the activities like the teaching distinction track mm -hmm. were in a way created to allow you to continue to do things that you liked mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. And exactly. to get, and to get some just sort kind of, of a credit formal for recognition mm -hmm. of, you know, um, but the, we, we also have like, you know, non academic, like we have a school talent show. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we do, um, frolics, which is our like, um, big production, kind of like a musical that each, uh, each year that makes their own like half hour show. And it's kind of a competition yeah. downtown. It's pretty the great. I actually really, I really that. enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. We have it in that, in the really nice, uh, Engler theater theater, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. All the faculty go and take their medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes made at their expense. Yeah, it's a safe way to roast people at the medical school for sure. Mm -hmm. There are so many mm -hmm. opportunities for that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For roastage. But at the same time, we also give them awards. So, yes. we're, you know, we vote on our favorite um, professors or um, faculty or attendings mm -hmm. and stuff like that. One year I didn't go. And uh, I got a text in the middle of it from 
one of the co-hosts, I can't remember which one, um, saying, oh, short coats made an appearance on frolics. And I'm like, shit. Because <laughs> that's like, there's a little dread involved there. Like, you know, yeah. are you going to get, are you going to get like roasted? And then, I don't know, for me anyway, there's was a little Was it good dread. or bad? That's... I think it was, I think it was yeah. innocuous. I think okay. it was innocuous. Okay. I think it was just like that's a passing, good. a passing mention. Okay. So, you know, I was able to feel. Yeah, but at the time, I was like, oh, because all I got was this text. I'm like, oh, great. What does this mean? <laughs> what does it mean? What were we being made fun of? Um, what else? Other other activities, um, organized or otherwise? Was part of the of? question kind of like how you can get involved? Because I know at yeah, least how you find at, them. Yeah. like Carver College of Medicine, when we first came in for orientation, there was a activities fair yeah. that was specifically kind of designed so you could get on email listservs and get in contact with the leaders of different organizations mm -hmm. if you were interested in them, which yep. was a nice, nice thing to have. Yep. For sure. Um, I love the activities fair. Um, you were gone this year. I was I kind was, of sad. Yeah. I was, and it sucked too. I, you know, I, uh, I was uh, on vacation. I kind of had not planned things well and was gone during orientation week mm -hmm. um, and felt guilty as hell <laughs> um, about it. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, I was here in spirit. Some people, I think Aline helped out, um, with that and, 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 and Mark was Mark, the other person who helped uh, out, Mark Mubarak. Yeah. I think Jaden too. Jaden, right. Mm. Jaden. Um, so that was nice of y'all. Yeah. There's a uh, Habitat for Humanity has a chapter, I think. Is that still mm -hmm. active? Um, uh, we've got, uh, what else? Mobile clinic. Mobile clinic, of course, as you yeah. mentioned, community health stuff. Yeah. Um, this is a, uh, clinic that serves, that works for underserved populations, uh, providing some free um, uh, medical care. There's also the free mental health clinic, free a mental little health bit clinic. more yep. specialized. You can get involved if you're mm -hmm. if you're into OB. Uh, you can get involved in the Emma Goldman Clinic. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. the Moms Program. Yeah. Where maternal, maternal. Yeah. What is it? Uh, yeah, basically you follow yeah. you mm -hmm. follow longitudinally uh, a, a mother, mm -hmm. um, an expecting yeah. mother. An expecting yeah. mother. Yeah. Um, as they proceed through their pregnancy and you get to learn things about that with them. I think when, you know, when you're looking at a school, among the questions that you need to ask is what opportunities are there in this area? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm virtually certain that most med schools, uh, have things like this. Mm -hmm. Maybe, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if we're more or less or what. Than other schools, but we, I feel like we certainly have a diverse set of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And usually on most med school websites, there's a page that yeah, kind of just lists everything that that med school does. And there's probably some things that aren't there, but it's going to have most of the interest groups and, and, uh, um, you know, community yeah. involvement. You, you can also get involved in, um, things like the, uh, the committees in the college. So if you're, mm -hmm. if you're into some people are on the admissions committee, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, some people, uh, help do interviews, um, for admit the admissions office. Mm -hmm. Other people are on, um, the various education committees, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. medical, um, we have here, we have the medical arts and sciences committee, which uh, oversees the preclinical curriculum. And then we have the med ed council, which oversees the whole curriculum. And then we have the clinical experiences committee, which oversees the clinical curriculum. So mm -hmm. few opportunities, uh, there. And there's also, you know, the wider university 
that yep. has a lot of those same types of committees getting involved in and how the university, you know, is going to move forward. Yes. That is a they're. nice benefit of going to a medical school that's associated with mm-hmm. an undergrad mm-hmm. as opposed to like a standalone med school, which is totally fine, but there's just more of a yeah. social mm-hmm. community. I mean, I think there's a, there's just a, a ton a ton to do um, outside of medical school. And I would also advise, you know, once you get your feet under you, if you're not comfortable immediately diving into stuff, um, take advantage of them because mm-hmm. I'm not sure that um, just doing medicine, if you can, if you can, you know, if you don't have mm-hmm. other responsibilities like, like Nick, maybe who's, who's, you know, busy with family um, a lot of the time, but if you don't have other responsibilities, the more you get into these other opportunities, the more you're going to get, out of being in medical school, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really important. Yeah. So, Sarah, hope we helped <laughs> uh, with that. Um, next, we have a question from Richard. And Richard, you know, Richard knows, of course, about tuition when it comes to the expenses associated with medical school. But Richard has this additional question. What are some of the hidden costs associated with medical school? Like buying stethoscopes or review material? and paying for residency interview flights and accommodations. Well, you have mentioned several mm-hmm. yeah. there. And those are yes. real. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, what, were the, what were the things that you weren't told about, do you think? I don't know if not told about, but one thing I didn't account for was not being from Iowa, the cost of flying back home multiple mm-hmm. times a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely something I realized I needed to save up for. Or budget for. Yeah. I also have always lived next to a major airport, whether it's Boston, Logan, LAX, and Los Angeles. It's much more expensive when you live in a small town to fly out of a small airport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's not necessarily unique to Carver College of Medicine, but. No, we uh, we often, as a family, we're always looking to save money and we often um, drive to Chicago yep. and then fly um to back east to visit our family because the costs are sometimes uh, the savings is substantial. Definitely, and you've got four it, people. Some people it. think that's extreme, but I've actually <laughs> like calculated the time many times. It, if anything, it saves me like a half hour because if you're going to yep. drive 20 minutes to Cedar Rapids Airport and then fly usually to either Detroit or Chicago, and then you have a layover. You you're, might as well just drive three and a half hours to Chicago. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna spend no matter. This is how we look at it. No matter what, you're gonna spend the day yes. uh, traveling. Um, whether it's eight hours or eight and a half hours, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I, I used to do some traveling for work and, uh, like it was generally cheaper for me to rent a car that the company was paying for, drive to Chicago, get on my flight and, and fly and then, you know, do the same thing on the way back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, well that brings up, uh, something like car ownership. Um, I think depending on where you go to, to go to school, uh, a car might be more or less necessary. I think we're lucky here in Iowa city, uh, because we have a pretty good, uh, transit system here Mm -hmm. and other cities, um, have that as well. Um, but I, we figured, you know, we, for a long time, we had one car in our family, um, you know, necessity of having children. Um, one car and then we whenever we needed a second car we would rent a car mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. cheaper mm-hmm. to do that than it is to own a car so you can also zip car zip rent yeah yeah. yeah now that, yeah uber wasn't a <laughs> thing a while yeah. ago here but we've got uber and lyft mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff yeah. and i'll tell you what if you live in a big city right now and you're using uber or lyft to get around you're used to paying 40 50 bucks to go places 
um, here you can get across town for like 11 bucks. So it's, yeah. it's actually, yes. if, that, if yeah. that, I mean, that's actually on the high side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But with that said, although I almost never drive, I walk everywhere or bike everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, also, mopeds are huge here. Everybody oh, has mopeds. Yeah. If you haven't visited, there's mopeds everywhere. It's amazing, um, actually. I, I have never, I don't know if it's. I have never lived in a place with so many two-wheeled vehicles. (laughs) And people are real casual about them. Like you'll see people on them who clearly just rolled out of bed, like not even wearing (laughs) flip-flops, not wearing shoes, just like a tank top. Friend hanging off the back. It's it's like living in India or something. You know, like you see those pictures of people in Vietnam or whatever, like riding around crazy mopeds and things like that. I've I've seen two uh, Iowa offensive linemen on uh, the same moped. So awesome, <laughs> which was uh, a little shocking. It's like an acrobat on one of those like miniature circus bikes. Yeah. <laughs> but but I just put that out there because although it's really walkable, the campuses and the downtown, it's totally walkable or bikeable. Um, it was kind of like a rude awakening for a few of my classmates during um, like the transitions week, which is like the week right before, right between. Um, uh, med school classes and the clinical rotations were actually maybe it was a little bit before this, but they basically announced that you are required to have um, a car or transportation um, because you can get assigned your um, clinical rotations, especially like in family med, like anywhere throughout the state. <laughs> so if you don't need to have your own car, but you need to have access to get there. And then once you're there, you stay there for rotations. So that counts yeah. as a hidden, that is a hidden a cost. Hidden I had cost. some friends who were just, blown away and we're like what do you mean why can't i just get placed at the the hospital yeah. but right. there are a couple components to your clinical rotations where they want you in a rural setting um, yeah. in the community working as like the only doctor in the whole town yeah so mm-hmm. and there are a lot of med schools i know especially with do schools where like there's no hospital associated so mm-hmm. you could be anywhere in the city that you that's know the school's in or in another city at, in another city right. yeah yep that's a really good point yep mm-hmm. Um, another cost that like isn't always represented is just like medical equipment and to be honest your first year really all you need is a stethoscope I don't know if that really goes up at all it's usually pretty affordable Mm -hmm. Um, and I think sometimes in the calculation for tuition and everything sometimes books are overpriced because usually like here at CECOM we have a program where you can rent out textbooks for the entire semester or you have all of your materials already online so that might be overrepresented yeah, um, many many courses um uh don't even the, the textbooks aren't really required no never, yeah. you could if you wanted to or you could just go to the counseling center it's usually yeah, just like supplemental like yeah. if you yeah and i want it all if you want to see time yeah, yeah. <laughs> i used only one book first aid all of med school right. i don't yeah. even own a single other yeah, medical. And book. other than <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like school compliant laptop that would yeah. maybe be, I don't know oh, what, yeah. depending on what the specifications are, that could be another cost. Yeah, find out what tech you want to use for mm-hmm. you know all your note taking in in class. And yeah, that yeah. that can be a big expense, but yeah. it's worth it. I sometimes fantasize that I would have been a better student had I uh, had access to all this uh, technology, but you know, probably not. <laughs> I don't want to give myself too much credit. If it weren't for the technology that we had back in the nineties, I, I would. I, would right be, I don't think you need to have all those good grades to be president. I'm just putting that out. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good point. What else? I mean, there's there's so many. Yeah, there's a lot like. of like costs leading up to medical school. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think the MCAT is obviously, like, represented. Ooh, but step one. Step one, yeah. for I, sure. That was a shock. I don't know. That was, I did not expect it to be so expensive. Not only is the registration, like, over $600, but then it, oh, everyone gets a UWorld subscription, and that's between, like, depending what you want, like, three and $600 additional. Mm-hmm. So it's good. save $1,000 for step one minimum. Yeah. And then and then if you have to travel. Yeah, to which I did. Your, I, had, your, yeah, I had to get a hotel and travel for that yeah yep. and then like even really far down the line i've heard that residency interviews are very expensive yep. To, like yep. based on how many you go on yeah i mean some people and, and you pay a fee i think for each what, what is it when you apply when you apply to residency programs there is some sort of fee i don't know what it is and it may be that like you know the first five i, I don't know i think it's like the mcas where like the first one is the most expensive and then each additional is like right. smaller, mm-hmm. but, but it's still, mm-hmm. you know, cost. money. And then you, of course you travel and you probably eat out, uh, more when you're on the road and, um, there's no per diem for residency interviews. Yep. Yeah. Um, Richard did mention moving, but, uh, Emma Barr had something to say about that, um, in our group chat. Uh, she said when she moved, she thought that buying new used stuff would be cheaper than a U-Haul. But looking back, I think I should have reconsidered. I should have considered the U-Haul more strongly. I didn't have much time from moving in to starting school, and it was stressful to start without a bed, dresser, dishes, etc. Mm. I feel like my life was not organized. So you might consider spending more on uh, your move than mm. you otherwise were thinking, mm-hmm. yeah. depending on your situation. I wanted to come back to the medical equipment, actually. Now now that Maddie reminded me, there was like a list of things that we were asked to buy at mm-hmm. the beginning yeah. that I have literally used just the one time, mm-hmm. if that. Hmm. Yeah. And it was stuff like tuning fork, which like is a valuable thing to have, but like odds are you're never going to use that mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Which like I remember in my class, I don't know if other classes have had this issue, but like we you know, considered asking the administration to like, if you really want us to have it, why don't you buy it in bulk? At which point you'll probably get a very good price on it Mm -hmm. and then just make that something you provide us on the first day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that might be something that other med schools do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it would be kind of symbolic actually to give every student like their doctor bag. Which you, which you know is is hilarious is that, um, so every year, uh, I'm often downstairs in the locker room cutting locks off of the, uh, of the (laughs) students who have moved their lockers who have moved on (laughs) and I will find like tuning forks and reflex hammers and, you know, (laughs) so uh, not to mention a number of moldy towels and smelly yeah. shoes. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I, the thing is also like you, most. I'm assuming every medical school has those little practice clinical suites, and you can practice. Like, yeah. If before you know you get you get these exams where you have to do little clinical exams and physical exams. If you don't feel like you're good at taking blood pressure, you can stay after school with your friend and practice there. Yeah, I would don't just need wait. To get a blood I would wait because I guess if you really want practice at home, then you can buy your blood pressure cuff as yeah. needed. But don't yeah. don't buy yeah. it all. Up front. Yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah. worst case scenario, you know, if you if you know somebody with Amazon Prime, get them to send you yeah. a uh, <laughs> not a sponsor, but get them to send you a blood pressure yeah. cuff or something, you know. And if you really want to buy something, buy the cheap stuff and like your stethoscope. Yeah. And forget about the expensive things. Like, yeah, don't buy like an autoscope. Yeah. Or, oof, yeah. You know, yeah. people people did that because they thought they needed to practice at home. But we have them here at school, like in the clinical rooms to practice looking in your friend's eyes with and yeah. ears. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 If you do have kids, an autoscope's handy. 
Just saying. True. Save you a couple of trips, uh, you know, and yeah. to the doctor. For, how much does an otoscope cost? A lot. So, I'm say $50, $60 yeah. on Amazon, like a cheap. Yeah. Oh, super cheap. Yeah, so the funny thing is my, my, my wife, my wife is an audiologist and, um, I had an, I had a bad problem with itchy ears not long ago, like really horrible, like something was clearly not right. And, uh, so she bought a, um, an electronic, uh, what do we call them? Uh, basically an, a small electronic endoscope hmm. that, uh, you can thread into your ear and like, <laughs> And like use the end of it to like scoop out wax. It's disgusting, cool. but you can also like take videos that and like awesome. You know, it's basically a webcam. Yeah. yeah, it's basically a webcam. You attach it to your laptop, and you can like take videos. And it's like really entertaining to say, "Hey, kids, come on over here. Look at the dad's disgusting infected oh. ear." What a world uh, we live in. It's amazing, but that's cheaper. I don't know if you could. I don't know if that's helpful to practice with. But at least you get to look inside your own ear. So that's yeah. pretty cool. That's very How many people get to look inside their own ears? Not too many, I will wager. Yeah. <laughs> you say that so defiantly, <laughs> like you want us to get on board. We're totally on board. With okay. We're not disagreeing with you okay. at all. <laughs> I'm sure there are other uses for it too, but you know, we don't need to worry about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have like a clog in your drain or something. You can like yeah. look down yeah. in there and see. <laughs> See what's yeah. in there. And then when you're done, you can use stick it in your ear. I'm sure that's <laughs> that's healthy. That's <laughs> totally fine. Completely healthy. Um, so Richard, I uh, hope we helped. Um, I got a lot of questions in the past week. A stunning number of questions. And I am very grateful. We'll get to your questions in upcoming shows. Um, but I you know, want to emphasize, uh, your questions mean a lot uh, to us because we get to talk about what you want to talk about. And I don't just have to make stuff up. So keep them coming. You can send your questions, thoughts, other things um, of an electronic nature to the shortcoats at gmail.com. Or you can call us on our on our shortcoat hotline at 347-SHORT-CT. Uh, thanks again, everybody who sent in questions. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation sounds like it's turning its attention to a growing problem in the United States. Maternal death. Uh, the global burden of disease 2015 maternal moral, mor morality maternal mortality study, uh, which was published in the Lancet, found that between 1990 and 2015 maternal deaths have risen in the U.S. by more than 50 percent. Uh, other Western countries have seen mostly decreases or more than uh, of more <laughs> of more than or nearly the same amount. Germany, for instance, has seen a 55 percent decrease. Uh, England and Canada have been largely flat in maternal mortality. So I think those are some interesting and kind of uh, messed up stats there. I don't understand yeah. what the problem is. So I think um, we had a professor, an OB, I remember during didactics who came in and, uh, you know, had a bit of a chip on their shoulder about this just because not the metrics kind of vary from country to country. And so, you know, there may not be a meaningful difference there, but because we measure it differently, it looks like we do so much worse. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I don't think she's completely off. I think there is some truth to the fact that we, we could perform better at that. Um, but the culture is not totally set up for it. And I kind of wonder sometimes, this is going kind of in a different direction, but 
It's all right. We 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 uh, we depend. I depend on your uh, tangents. Tangents are not only tolerated; they're encouraged. They're encouraged. Um, I kind of wonder if that's because the main patient population there is women, and in a system that's kind of a little bit biased um, against women, taking women's complaints less seriously. That's why we haven't prioritized working on it. But yeah, I'm not sure. I have a question. This sounds kind of stupid, but what really is the definition of like maternal death, death in maternal that mortality? Like what time hmm. in, cause I'm, I'm wondering if this is kind of like a, like a death certificate sort of a thing where like, um, like what are we calling it something differently or naming it differently than most other countries are? And therefore we look like we're increasing. Um, yeah. So perhaps in a, in a, in a country where, and I think this is why, my guess is this is why, um, you know, when I, when I looked at the stats, they weren't really, well, they were expressed in absolute terms. You know, for instance, uh, you know, deaths per 10,000 or, yeah, uh, per 100,000 or whatever it was. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I didn't, uh, I didn't put on my science hat and, and oh, look it, into that. Okay, this is a quick Google search, but it says a maternal death is the death of a woman while pregnant or within 42 days of termination of the pregnancy. Hmm. So I'm kind of wondering, is it, is it possible that like, I don't know, like our healthcare system is such that we are acutely aware of every woman who is pregnant and therefore if she dies during her pregnancy or 42 days after we say, oh, it was due to her pregnancy, whereas other countries don't. Whereas Germany mm. has a different yeah. definition. Or or maybe they just, maybe they have um, a, a less, a higher, lower detection rate of pregnancy. So if a woman dies, they blame it on something else. Right. Or I suppose my, my feeling too. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I suppose my temptation, though, is to assume that uh, a proper study would sort of control for mm -hmm. those uh, definitions before coming up with um, numbers. Kind of um, normalize all of these different data sets across the board. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It um, should, in theory, yeah. occur that I way. I also kind of wonder if there might be population differences, because I know in this article... Um, it talked about how African-American women specifically are two to six times more likely to die in this kind of maternal setting than our white mm -hmm. women, regardless of socioeconomic status, um, achievement in their career. And so I wonder, you know, there could be genetic factors to that. It could be social from like microaggressions, racism mm -hmm. have been shown to have like epigenetic factors. Yeah. And so I wonder. I mean, even just a lower socioeconomic status itself might mean that you have worse maternal exactly. care. It probably yeah. means that you have yeah. worse House. maternal care or prenatal care. Yeah, mixed mm -hmm. in with like the like very low numbers of African-American providers that we have in this mm -hmm. country. Yeah, Maddie, that is an excellent point. I was actually just thinking about that as you're raising the point. Um, and the emphasis there, I think, is like regardless of socioeconomic status. So a lot of like well-educated upper class black women are just as much at risk. Like it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And they don't really understand. Like it's kind of a, an, an uh, unspoken epidemic that we're not addressing properly. Yeah, I'm I glad think you there was recently like a very harrowing account of um, a man and his wife um, passed away uh, during, I think, the um, post-birth very suddenly, even though they were trying to alert the um, medical providers that something was going on. And I think he actually testified in front of Congress or some sort of governing body mm -hmm. about, you know, this woman. She was African-American. She had 
just like was so successful in her career, had everything going for her. They had, I can't remember if they had one son already and then came into this and it just didn't go right. And yeah. it's a huge, like you said, a lean epidemic. And I think also um, if, if, if you're, if, if you're not white, mm-hmm. you're uh, the, the, the amount of pain that providers attribute to your complaint is judged differently. Yeah. Um, usually less than you report it as, mm-hmm. which That's is a real probably phenomenon. a factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the Melinda Gates told Business Insider that the foundation will be talking about this in their annual letter due out sometime in the next months, which sounds like a signal that they're going to throw their weight and money behind studying uh, this problem, which is good news. Yeah, they've done amazing work. I think in the last years of like taking up causes that like disproportionately affect women all over the world. Like the most recently it was um, expanding access to, um, to contraceptive care or like Mm -hmm. prenatal care period, um, which like is a concern maybe that not everyone can relate to, but for a lot of people around the world, um, unplanned pregnancy is a one way ticket into poverty Mm -hmm. and then poverty Mm -hmm. for those children. Um, And it's just a terrible cycle, but there's always this attitude of like, oh, they'll manage. And I'm like, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't manage. They die. Like they just disappear into, you know, the statistics and you never hear about them again. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of wonder, I feel like recently there have been a lot of articles about physician burnout in like OBGYN and other kind of primary care specialties. And I wonder if just the levels of burnout that we're seeing in these populations of physicians can also drive these poor outcomes that we see. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Yeah. Yeah, well, we know um, burnout, for instance, is related to um, changes in empathy. Um, Empathy is an important component of understanding what it is your patient is going through. If you're not understanding what your patient's going through, you can, I'm sure, that can affect your treatment decisions. And if it affects your treatment decisions, then that affects the patient. And who knows? And there's also access barriers in this country. Granted, most uh, expecting mothers are going to be covered by, you know, the state system, but they might not necessarily know that. And and these other countries that we're looking at on this list, uh, I'm pretty confident that most people know that they're going to get the coverage that they need uh, just because of their medical system, the difference in, in uh, their medical system compared to ours. Mm-hmm. I think this is a point that we raise a lot on this show, but um, one of the major differences, I think, between our healthcare system and others is that um, because profit factors so much more heavily into our system preventive care is much less Mm -hmm. of a priority Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but under a system that knows it's going to care for you from cradle to grave like they care about every preventive measure that would ultimately save them money so Mm -hmm. yeah boy we talk a lot about preventive medicine in the u.s but Mm. yeah where the rubber meets the road i'm not doesn't it never sounds to me like we're uh we're quite getting there Mm -hmm. yeah another thing i'm wondering did if any of these articles um, provide characteristics about where the increase in mortality is, like in what what characteristics of the women, is it like age related in that isn't isn't the the age of pregnancy increasing in the United States, especially as yeah. like our um, fertility treatments and stuff mm-hmm. increase. So this is maybe kind of a controversial thing to say, but I was wondering if like in a body that maybe be less likely to get pregnant, in the first place, if we were doing things to allow those bodies to become pregnant, maybe they aren't the most optimal to support 
pregnancy. Like, I don't know, be prone to, um, I don't know if they're in, they're diabetic or um, mm -hmm. higher prone to higher blood pressures and stuff like this. I don't know. Maybe they're, I'm just kind of wondering if like maybe the people who are receiving fertility treatments or a slightly older maternal population mm -hmm. are, are the ones that are experiencing the if that's contributing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. those are by definition higher risk pregnancies yeah. at baseline. So that's yeah. actually, that's an excellent point. Yeah. I do think cool. those, those are happening in those other countries though, too, like Germany, France, Japan, uh, UK or in England. The increase in um, fertility. The yeah, age of, uh, I mean, increase. especially in Europe, you're seeing, you know, people having children far later than even the U.S. and, mm. and uh, getting, you know, married or, you know, choosing a partner later and and also fewer children in in those countries mm -hmm. even than the u.s i'd so. also be curious to learn about self-reported like indications of stress across all of these countries during gestation if that would have an effect as well what we're saying is thank you melinda <laughs> i hope that someday and it seems likely i hope that someday i am so rich that I can just start giving my money away. To, uh, yes. But for now, but for now, go to the shortcode.com slash store. <laughs> and buy it. Yeah. Uh, this week, a case report popped up in my feed that got me thinking. Jeez. Oh in what the authors think is a first of its kind, a patient reported to Adelaide and Meath Hospital in Dublin, Ireland, with pain caused by a subcutaneous abscess after intravenously injecting his own semen into his arm. <laughs> <laughs> as, okay, my, my as one does. <laughs> my question about this is uh, when they cut into it, you know, how could they tell the semen from the pus? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Good I'll. If you, if you, <laughs> my first thought, my first question. <laughs> if you would like, like to, if you, if you would like to more thoroughly explore this case report, I'll post a link at the shortcut.com. Oh my God. <laughs> like until he said something, you know, I wonder how far down the line of investigating, you know, his his chief complaint they were like something's not right here i can just imagine him like just tight-lipped in the corner at which point did he feel the need to be like oh yeah by the way this is what i've been doing well yeah. both both intravenously and intramuscularly yes needle with him in the, bag. the patient reported the patient reported sudden onset severe back pain following a history of low back pain without neurological findings. After clinicians found the abscess on his forearm, the patient admitted to injecting himself with his own semen, as the authors put it, as an innovative method to treat back pain. <laughs> no <laughs> neurological findings. There's definitely some neurological stuff. Uh, he further disclosed to having purchased a hypodermic needle online, which he'd used for the past 18 months. The sudden pain started after he'd lifted a heavy steel object three days prior, and so he administered his chosen uh, remedy Three, do three times, intramuscularly and intravascularly, uh, or intravenously. Um, yeah. So it wasn't immediately apparent that the abscess was in the arm. I thought he was injecting it into his back, and I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. But when I found out he was injecting it into his arm, I was like, wow, this guy is really, really a piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't he inject it into the back? Well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's yeah. The pain is. yeah, exactly. Just not smart <gasps> enough. That would have made like 2% oh more sense. Yeah. <laughs> Injecting it. 
I'm sorry to still very senseless. I'm sorry to report, Aline, that the uh, back, patient's back pain subsided during his hospital stay, and he checked himself out before doctors could drain the abscess. So we really don't know what it looks like. Uh, There's an X-ray uh, of the swelling on yeah. here, which is interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's pretty hardcore. Can you imagine Dr. Pimple Popper? You know, like... <laughs> oh, like the greatest challenge yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, that would no. be her highest rated video ever. Oh. That would be the internet's highest rated video ever. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it would draw people from all walks of life, including people with unconventional sexual interests, probably. Yeah. Mm. There was no sign in the... I really want to be clear. There was no sign in the report that this was a sexual interest. Um, it was just something that he thought of, you know, like, hey, you know, I could take medicine or I, I could go to a chiropractor. How do we know? How do we know? Maybe this I could do is, any number of, yeah. of quack treatments for my back pain, but I'm going to make one up. Yeah. I'm just going to come up with it on my own. And I love how, like, the people who wrote this case study like tried to find this on the yeah. internet, like yeah. somewhere. They and searched everywhere. They, they, first, they started with reputable journals, right? And then just the bowels and of the internet. Like, well, okay, can't find anything there. I guess we're gonna go to Pornhub and see what's going on. <laughs> going on over there. You know, I, I was thinking about like, where do you come up with this idea? And I was, I, like the only thing I could come up with is maybe he thought they were like stem cells. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, That's giving sperm. him a lot of credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're kind. Yeah. My, I know my sperm is very powerful. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I honestly, I just started reading it and I, th I thought to myself, like. I don't really believe him that he actually thought this was, I think that maybe to the doctors he was rationalizing as lower black pain. And I don't know why. I don't even know if I want to know why he did what he did, but well, yeah, I feel like there's a, there's a side story we're missing. This is a prank gone wrong. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And him treat quote unquote, treating his back pain as this cover story. He was, yeah. he yeah. was, he was tired of, of wasting his seed. <laughs> So this was his method of recycling. Oh. <laughs> wow. It's, it's just a terrible waste. Yeah. yeah. It just yeah. made good economic sense for him to put it back into himself. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, on a ser more serious note, maybe you guys can help me understand um, what, what, what is the importance of case reports? I mean, you know, when we look at... Um, the research, for instance, you know, the gold standard being, you know, randomized controlled uh, trials. Um, well, even higher than that are meta-analyses where they pool data yeah. from such trials, as you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, the, the case study seems to be an important part of medical literature, um, despite them being essentially anecdotes that seem designed strictly to entertain me. <laughs> um, so how, how, how should, how do people like you use case reports well you raised an important point that on the spectrum from like most reliable to like le like on the spectrum of clinical utility i should say mm -hmm. they rank pretty low because mm -hmm. it's just one person yeah. um but where they come in handy is when a person's condition or the clinical scenario is so ex exceptionally rare that like under no circumstances would it make good economic sense to fund such a study hmm. um, like this one like this. <laughs> I think it's yeah. also like a good story in clinical problem solving. 
for clinicians to kind of look at the article and see this is how this group of physicians went about um, diagnosing the patient. And maybe in the future, if I come across something really rare or strange, this is how I can go about it. Yeah. I was also thinking maybe for like the first description of something like I don't think you always want to necessarily wait until you have like an end of 20 before you say something. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking of when you as you were asking the question, the book um, and the band played on, which is like a journalist basically describing the AIDS epidemic slowly. And he like interviews a lot of a lot of people from um, actors in Hollywood who might be experiencing it in like a sub like in like they're socially versus like doctors in rural areas versus big institutes and it's kind of like this problem creeps up as everyone knows like across the world Mm -hmm. but since there was no big social media or it's not like everybody knew about it all at once so years kind of went by before people knew what was going on so i think it's something rare but kind of huge happens Mm. you write a case report and then suddenly somebody's like wait that happened to me too or Mm. i saw that recently a month ago and before you know it yeah you know it's kind of i don't know i kind of think of it as a news brief or a way to it's a nice way to raise awareness about something that is like either kind of at the front end of the bell curve of taking off or just like giving someone who's dealing with something rare, like a place to start. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see if we now get a bunch of reports about sperm injecting <laughs> so, pain sufferers. I mean, you know. This guy, this has Andrew Wakefield written all over it. It's going to spawn an epidemic. <laughs> Um, the thing that I was thinking about, uh, as like a good example of like when a case report comes in handy, I remember a friend of mine was shadowing in the hospital and they had a patient who like developed a, like, a um, psychosis with like a kind of like an unclear ideology. Like she was completely Mm -hmm. fine when she first came to the hospital. And so yada, yada, yada. What it turned out is that she had, um, a teratoma that expressed acetylcholine receptors. And so her body developed antibodies to the acetylcholine receptors and then mm. started attacking those receptors in the brain and induced huh. psychosis that way. Hmm. Ovarian huh. teratoma associated, oh, sorry, anti-NMDAR encephalitis. Is that like the brain on fire book? Is that the sim- a similar condition? Um, Is it anti-NMDA? It might be. There was a popularized book, I think that was published recently, about a woman's account with something hmm. autoantibody related in the brain. Potentially. I mean, this is um, a case report, but involving 174 cases. Mm. Yeah. So not that uncommon. I mean, in the scale on the scale of like, you know, things that affect the majority of the population, it's probably pretty low incidence. But but, you know, if you have someone who's acting psychotic and you have no idea what might be going on and there's nothing in the in the history to suggest that they have, you know, a predisposition for that. Case reports are nice for that. Mm. Well, Speaking of case studies, let's see if you can guess the problem that these patients were suffering from in this pop quiz. Oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> Good music. I've always wanted music for this, uh, <laughs> for uh, for this segment. <laughs> that was so game show network. Yeah, right there. Yeah, <laughs> Took me back. All right, fill in the blank. And you can all can work together. I mean, it's not we're not mm-hmm. going to compete on this one. Okay. A 55-year-old man accidentally swallowed part of his blank after he had a seizure while sleeping. Though he wasn't aware of the seizure, seizure, when he woke up, he noticed that a piece of his blank was missing. And five days later, he went on to develop a cough, difficulty swallowing, and chest pain. What, <laughs> what disappeared? What did he swallow? I think I know what it is. 
Do you guys have any ideas? Tooth. Yeah, I think that's it's a what crown. I was thinking. It was a tooth. I was thinking a like crown, a crown, yeah. or yeah. a, a part of his denture. But then he's fifty-five. Yeah. I don't, don't want to judge, but you know, <laughs> just likelihood. So, final answer is. I'm gonna go with crown. I think. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Uh, actually, LJ was closest. Uh, it was a. It was a part of his denture. Ooh. Very nice. <laughs> I'm taking this the whole way. <laughs> Well, at least we were all thinking dental. Yeah. yeah. We were all close. Yeah. It's kind of a, yeah. Swallowing dentures is not uncommon. And usually it occurs with removable dentures. Mm-hmm. Um, they're cheaper than implants, but have this obvious drawback that if you sleep with them in, you might swallow them. So probably shouldn't sleep with your removable dentures in your mouth. <laughs> all right. Next one. A 29-year-old California man went to his doctor because he has had pain in his left thumb and couldn't move it very well. An MRI showed that the man had ruptured a tendon in his thumb, which would require surgery to repair. He told the doctor that he'd been blanking with his right hand for the last six to eight weeks constantly while simultaneously <laughs> while simultaneously using his left hand for other tasks. What was he doing with his right hand? I didn't realize it was going to be <laughs> this kind Wait, of show. The, t- the tendon damage was in the left or the right hand? Uh, it was the right Okay. So right the hand thumb. that was getting constant Come on. activity. Right Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this innocent face. I mean, maybe he was constantly hitchhiking. You know, I don't is know. Texting? You know, like, like Instagram, he, like going through scrolling? all of oh, scrolling. scrolling. Yeah. Maybe he was tindering. Wait, how, how old is he again? Uh, 29. Oh, 29. Okay. okay. Yeah. Tinder was on his phone. The list. You know he what? was yeah. definitely on I just want you like, Aline went right for... Dave the perv (laughs) which I will admit I mean I I don't think that that's who I am I wasn't judging you. I'm judging oh, this no, person no. Oh, in this story. No, I, but I'm making know. a lot I heard of the word, assumptions. I heard the words, oh, Dave, something like that. <laughs> That's okay. Because it's, I mean. I was assuming the guy's name was Dave. That wasn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a total shot in the dark. He might be named absolutely. Dave. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, did, we, did we have a final answer? I'm going with scrolling. Is that what we're? That say? could work for a lot sure. of different platforms. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'm kind of going to go with this one. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Uh, actually, he, he was playing Candy Crush Saga. <laughs> <laughs> candy Crush. The report was careful to say that the man wasn't addicted to Candy Crush. He was, however, looking for work after having left the military. It was between jobs. And so, what does one do? One plays Candy Crush Saga while simultaneously, by the way, using his left hand for other things. Like so, applying for jobs. I would say hire. <laughs> I would say hire this guy. I mean, he's like a multitasker. He, I was about to say. Yeah. You should put that on his CV. Yeah. <laughs> Extracurriculars. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next question. A 40-year-old man... 40-year-old Michigan man was rushed to the ER after he blanked and developed frostbite and edema in his airway. Ooh. Wow. Frostbite in the airway. Yeah. Mm. Mm. What? <sighs> was he swallowing ice cubes? <laughs> Liquid nitrogen? Like, I was going to yeah. say, it might yeah. be like inhaling something, right? Inhaling CO2. Oh. <laughs> yeah, or like, yeah. Those like... Um, uh. Dust. Oh yeah, spray huffing. Uh, mm-hmm. That could be <laughs> huffing the uh, like spray duster thing. Because frostbite. Because this is gonna be really yeah. cold. This yeah. is not yeah. like you know. 
My brain went to like dry ice or something, like yeah. minus eighty. Hmm. What do you? What do you? What are we gonna go with here? I'm gonna say huffing some type of uh, compressed air. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. Hey, yeah. you're right. He huffed three <laughs> cans of compressed air. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> To get high. According to the case report, the refrigerant and compressed air in the duster cans uh, caused his airway to freeze, his tongue to swell, damage to his neck, for which he had to be placed on a ventilator for five days. Oh, my God. Interesting statistic. One in five teenagers huff to get high, according to the National yeah. Institute on Drug Abuse. It's apparently a huge problem. I did not realize really? it was that. I can't believe. Five. I can't believe Jeez. we're going to medical school for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so if you've ever turned one of these cans upside down and sprayed them. Mm-hmm. Um, basically you get a shot of like frozen mm -hmm. liquid that comes yeah. out. I've like burned oh, my oh, hand on yeah. that stuff. When, well, yeah. you know, if you'd stop huffing. Yeah, I know. I need to <laughs> not huff compressed air. All right. Next one. A woman having an asthma attack at a New Year's Eve party in Australia did the sensible thing and used her rescue inhaler. She immediately felt a scratch in the back of her throat, coughed up some blood and had shortness of breath and went by ambulance to the hospital. Turns out she'd inhaled a blank. Some kind of insect. You said in Australia? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You yep. said in Australia? Yeah. yeah. Insects. <laughs> there is an They will find ways to kill you. Maybe a crack. Yeah. <laughs> the world's smallest crack. Yeah. I but actually Australia is known to have like the world's greatest proportion of like poisonous insects. Really? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Hmm. So there was do you guys know the show Peppa Pig? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Well, why do we all know that? Yeah, like, that's like, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> Nick was not a surprise. Everyone else, myself included. But apparently they had an episode that they had to ban from Australia because one of them was uh like where the main characters befriend a spider. Oh no. Oh. And so they Bad had influence on the kids. <laughs> they had to take that out because like they don't want Australian kids, you know, playing around with playing spiders because yeah. they could die. That's wild. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, well, so we have an insect. insect. Any other uh, thoughts about this? What, what was it that happened to the back of her throat? Yeah, a little scratch. Oh. Just a scratch? Did, well, was I mean, it visible? She was coughing up blood. So yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant like, okay, it felt like a scratch, but she had a literal lesion in her throat. Uh, she felt something in there, yeah. Breathed in a shard of glass. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. She, yeah. Hmm. Someone put a hit on her. <laughs> oh, oh wow. <laughs> Going there today, are we? <laughs> That's number three on my differential. I All like. Right. I like the glass. Oh. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Oh. All right. So it sounds like we uh, we've got a choice between insect and shard of glass. Intentional or, unintentional. intentional or unintentional. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it turns out oh. neither of those are correct. She inhaled an earring. The woman earring. said she'd never been told of the dangers of not capping her inhaler between uses or inspecting it before use. She kept it in her purse. Uh, she had heard something rattling in the thing before she used it, but assumed it was just a loose part. I, guess, I mean, I guess that's what it was. Uh, it's more common for people to inhale pocket lint or a thread, for instance, than it is to inhale something like an earring, but... Oh my I'm surprised God. from like a tongue ring or something like a lip ring. That'd be... I oh, that would, yeah. Yeah. Oh. That is a good reason. Mm. Now, you know, I have to say, when I read this, I was like, like, I had a very visceral reaction to this one. Um, I, more so than the dentures thing, I guess. Mm. Um, mm. So, I don't know, for whatever Why? that's worth. 
Why do you think? I don't. Well, my my son uh, uses an inhaler, mm. so I can oh, picture yeah. this, okay. oh, and I have used an inhaler something in, in the there. past too. Yeah. So mm. I could just imagine real like because you. you like I mean you know you breathe in. I don't actually put the inhaler in my mouth. I hold it uh, further away from my mouth. I don't actually because I was told that um, that gives things a chance to atomize more or something like that. Mm. Or you can, I don't know. Well, some people will use, I mean, because they have like those spacers. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 They have fancy schmancy versions, but you can use like a paper toilet paper. Cardboard roll, tube. Yeah. Mm. All right. Last one. No regrets. An Iranian man had a Persian phrase, meaning good luck with your journeys tattooed on his Jimmy for the next <laughs> eight days. He experienced pain and a blank. Numbness, <laughs> a, and a, a and okay. a and blank and a blank and a blank and a blank, a or m. I'm not. No, no, uh, right. uh, <laughs> I would say I'm a little bit ahead of you. I've thought of that problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say an abscess. Mm-hmm. Wait, how many days later? Eight. Eight. Well, for the next eight days, he experienced pain in the blank. There's more to this story that I'm not going to give you, but, uh, uh, well, I mean, it took him three months to consult the doctor. Oh, Oh, but something happened eight days after the tattoo. Well, yeah. He experienced eight days of pain, um, and then he consulted a doctor three months later. Wow. Oh, I see. Hmm. Okay. Maybe I left a little bit too much out of that case study. Pain and A. So he noticed pain, but it wasn't so disruptive to his life that he could wait another like two and a half, two months, three yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Question. Is he married or otherwise sexually active? Well, um, the uh, I didn't mention that the tattoo also included the letter M, which is the first initial of his girlfriend. So apparently sexually active. How old is he again? Uh, didn't say. Oh. I didn't write that down. Hmm. I, think he's a, I think he's a younger man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Throw that out there. <laughs> Only a young and dumb guy could possibly do this. <laughs> just, yeah. That's the kind of thing you think we about later in life. Is like, hey, you know, maybe I shouldn't. Have, maybe I shouldn't have done that when I was a when I was a young man. Um, hmm. boy, I can. I mean, it's hard. I'm stumped, yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's a singular thing we're looking for. Um. It's a condition. Oh. Oh. Okay. I was thinking another letter that <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think misspelled or something. Yeah. <laughs> Is the letter M relevant in any way? No. Outside of oh, no. Okay. okay. Other than a clue as to his sexual history, no. Hmm. Hmm. Although that's not important either. Maybe. Oh. Okay. Hmm. I think mm-hmm. this could happen with or without. Uh. Uh, a uh, 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 what do you call it? Having sex. This could happen with or without. What do you call, what do you call that thing? People <laughs> Don't remember. <laughs> Is it made worse by intercourse or? Um, I don't think so. Huh. Well, okay. in a sense. 
So he gets a tattoo and eight days later he has pain and a blank. Right? Well, for eight days after the tattoo, oh, for eight he days. has pain for eight days. And a okay. Blank. So the I think answer gonna... was immediate. Yeah. Bleeding, peeling skin and an infection. It, it's A though. A. Well, it, no. Eh. It's, although. Infection. All right. I'm going to put you guys out of your misery. Okay. Oh, yeah. Permanently semi-priapism. Oh, oh. Yeah. Fortunately, the man's pain abated, but after three months, he consulted a doctor <laughs> who determined that it was a uh, case of non-ischemic priapism. A shunt didn't alleviate the problem, but then the man elected not to undergo any more procedures because it wasn't, uh, wasn't proven to be much of a problem. Anyway. So that wait wait how did they fix it? They didn't. They didn't fix it. They, they you know it went away on its own, or it he did just, not go away on his own. Just he just decided, it? hey, you know what? Oh my gosh! I'm gonna be okay. Semi priapist. <laughs> I'm gonna be a semi priapist. He converted it into a religion, and then there you go. I oh needed boy. to make sure I knew what that was because I I thought I remembered, but wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow. Three months. Oh my god. When I don't know. Aaron's taking advantage of it. I'm not really sure <laughs> what the situation was. Oh boy. Um, How did he not uh, like faint constantly from from having blood so being much being reshunted? Yeah, mm. and also stagnant maybe. No, because because they d did determine that it was uh, it, there was there was blood flow. So, so it was not. Yeah, it was not like due to like a vessel being pinched off and blood staying down there. But in order to keep it. They think it was, they, they don't know for sure, but they think that the tattoo somehow pierced something, pierced and uh, went too deep and, you know, caused uh, some extra, you know, blood to, huh. to do its thing. Okay. I, you know what? I'll look I don't for know. the case study. <laughs> I don't know why Aline thinks I'm a pervert. I never said that. I never said that. Maybe I'm the pervert here because that's clearly where my brain keeps going. Well, well, that is our show. Uh, Aline, LJ, Maddie, Nick, thank you for joining me on the show this week. Thanks for, Thanks for having us. And thank you listeners for making us a part of your week. If you like what you heard today, why not subscribe? You can benefit from our habit of answering listener questions. So send your questions or whatever you like to the shortcodes at gmail.com or reach out on social media or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. I've tried to make this as easy as possible and it's working. Send in your questions. Also, don't forget to visit theshortcode.com and join our email list. Uh, and if we made you smile or gave you something to think about today right now, while your podcast app is open, give us some stars in a review. It's a cheap and easy way to be a friend of The Shortcode and help helps us know we're doing the right thing. Lone She-Wolf did that recently. She said I was lovable and she listens while she bikes to work. Thank you, She-Wolf. <laughs> I hope you are alone by choice and not because you bike to work so quickly that potential suitors can't catch up to you. <laughs> the show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Thank you.